Let us pray together. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I used to do a lot of interviews in my last career. I was taught that when you conduct an interview, you are to ask open-ended questions. You're not to ask closed-ended questions. You need to let them talk. But in a closed-ended question, the answer can only go one way or another. Yes or no, true or false. What year were you born? There's only a particular answer. But there's also rhetorical closed-ended questions. These are questions that demand certain answers. Questions that demand obvious answers. For example, I ask you, do you love your kids? Well, of course. These rhetorical questions make a point. I ask you, do you enjoy having a bad cold? Of course not. Who in this church doesn't like having a good night's sleep? Well, no one. Questions that demand certain answers, obvious answers. The Bible happens to use these questions quite often. And the answers to us, to Christians, are obvious. God asks you through Paul directly tonight, if God is for us, who can be against us? No one. God, who has given you house, land, family, shoes, clothing, food, drink, and all that you have, that God is for you. He, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things? The eternal, all-knowing, all-powerful, life-giving God is on your side. You are God's elect. And who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Again, no one. It is only God who justifies. God is the one who ultimately decides between right or wrong. Not the newscaster. Not the politician. And not you. None of us are the last word in right or wrong. If you think you have that last word, or if, like we all do from time to time, if you want to have the last word in deciding right or wrong, then you also want to eat of the same tree that befell Adam and Eve. So I ask you a rhetorical question. Do you want to be served by the serpent? Who then is left? 
Who then is left to judge those who are right and those who are wrong? It's an obvious answer for the Christian. The one who died, Christ Jesus. The one who has been raised, Christ Jesus. The one seated at the right hand of God, the judgment seat. Jesus, who is interceding for you. He intercedes because, well, sometimes you have questions too. Questions for God. You need an interceder because there is no way in your sinful condition that you can face God and ask him anything. Should you not expect eternal damnation? So go ahead. Ask God the Father. Why did you take my loved one from me this year? Why did I lose so much? Why was I hungry? Why was I poor this year? Or why am I so lonely? The love of Christ intercedes in these questions and responds to you with grace, mercy, peace, forgiveness, comfort, wisdom, all the eternal riches. Even when you pray to your Father who art in heaven, Jesus Christ intercedes so that your prayers are loved by the Father, heard by him, and thanks be to God, answered by him. Your prayers are made perfect in Jesus' name. No matter what your sufferings were this, this year, no matter what your sufferings will be for years to come, nothing, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation? The obvious answer is no. Shall distress or persecution? No. What about famine or nakedness? Shall that separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? No. Shall danger or sword? No. Will a virus separate us from the love of Christ? Will any president separate you from the love of Christ? No. Would even a world war separate us from the love of Christ? No. When you experience these tribulations, when you're in distress, know that you can ask God anything without a fear of damnation, without the fear of judgment. Because the condemnation that we deserve when we want to be the judge, when we want to be served by the serpent. That condemnation poured out in wrath on the Son of God on the cross. Jesus intercedes. The intercession of Christ has a location. 
Intercession is here. It is the cross, the great place of intercession of Jesus on all of our behalf. The love of Christ is always on our side. Here's a rhetorical question, when one with an obvious answer. Is it possible that next year could be worse than this year? Sure. It is as if we are being killed all the day long. It is as if we are being regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So what's the obvious answer to that? Should you expect to be slaughtered? Dear Christian, yes. We should not think that it is strange to be surrounded by all the effects of sin. In fact, it's worldwide. There are 283,000 Christians in particular countries in Asia that face the threat daily of violence and starvation. And yet, in those same countries, the number of Christians are growing. Why? Because in all this distress and anguish, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We conquer because Jesus loved us to the point of death. This is God's guarantee for you. The Holy Spirit, speaking through Paul tonight and directly into your ears, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. There will be times this coming year when Christians at Calvary Lutheran Church, some of you, are going to be regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Some of you will face severe tribulation, serious distress, maybe even persecution. Some of you will be hungry. Some of you may be lonely. Some of you will be depressed. What then shall we say to these things? We say the obvious answer. God is for us and never against us. Because God, who is for all of you, also works through all of you. God works through you. So I'd like to ask you a few more questions. If the family two pews from you cannot afford groceries next month, who amongst you would not provide it for them? Obvious answer for a Christian. You feed the hungry. You did it this year, and you'll do it next year. If someone amongst you in the congregation is 
lonely, sad, or depressed? Would you not offer them comfort? Would you not give them a call? Would you not send them a card? You've done it before, and you'll do it again. If someone here loses a loved one next year, who amongst you would not be calling the church, offering a hot meal, saying a prayer, giving comfort to the family? God is working through you. I am so certain of this. If there is a seminarian next year that is in need of a job, a seminarian next year in need of a, in need of a congregation for his family to call its home. If there's a seminarian in need to learn and develop, or next year if there is a seminarian with any need, I don't think there is anything you wouldn't do done it for me and you'll do it again how God works through you when you feed the hungry you are feeding Jesus when you visit the lonely you are offering the same grace as Christ offers to you When you provide for a seminarian, you are providing the same love that was provided for you. When you comfort the grieving, you are giving the very love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, you know what? Here we are. December 31st. We almost made it. Just another few hours. Was there anything that Satan threw at us this year that separates us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Not a chance. We are more than conquerors through him who saved us. Is there anything next year that will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Remember that obvious answer. Amen.